This episode is brought to you by 9AM Health. 9AM Health, diabetes care that fits your life. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Healing in Hindsight, your no BS source for thriving with diabetes. If you don't know me, I'm Taylor Danielle, and I am really just... This feels like a really special episode for me and no shade to my guys out there or male identifying people. But today we're going to talk to the ladies. Today we are going to provide some resources and some tools for us because as we know, being a woman with diabetes can come with a lot of different complications. You can be a woman without diabetes and suddenly end up with diabetes through pregnancy. There are so many things that we can deal with from our sexual health to our reproductive health to our mental health as women and add to that the layer of diabetes and you've got a nice concoction of a night on Netflix with a pint of ice cream and you know lots of tears. <laughs> on the pod today I have Anna who is the CEO of Diabetes Sisters and I am just so grateful for her time, her energy and her wisdom. In this episode, we talk about so many different things, but I think it is just great how she has gone through the process of being a part of the organization herself up into her title of CEO and is doing and continuing to grow this amazing organization just for women to help us. I personally can speak from experience that the DiabetesSisters.org website has been such a just great resource for me. When I discovered it back when I actually started healing in hindsight and I was trying to find people on Instagram to follow, they came up a couple of times and it was really cool to just be able to find a space for women by women to share their experiences and stories. And although at the time I was mostly hearing from my older peers, eventually I started to see more and more millennial women pop in and share different stories and be able to relate to a lot of them and learn and be able to find a safe haven. And although I didn't get directly involved, that's the beauty of the organization. It can be just a resource or you can get extremely involved with the pods and things. And I definitely will be checking out the Texas pod soon because now that I know about it and now that I've been involved in the diabetes space for a year now, I'm really excited to just get to continue partnering and hearing other people's stories, hearing your stories and how we can learn from each other. So Without further ado, I am so glad for you to hear this episode with Anna, the CEO of Diabetes Sisters. Let's do it. You're listening to Healing in Hindsight, your no BS source for thriving with diabetes. What's up, guys? I'm Taylor Daniel. And it's my goal to help millennial diabetics like myself live an amazing life without your diagnosis getting in the way. I get it. I was diagnosed back in 2015 with type 2 diabetes, and it was really hard to find people around my age to understand how to travel, socialize, or even have meaningful relationships. But I feel like with a focus on mindset, perspective, and nutrition, together we can take back our health and our lives. Consider this the red table talk, but for diabetics. Minus the entanglement, so. So let's do it. Anna, I'm really excited to have you today. For those who don't know who Anna is, she is the CEO of Diabetes Sisters, which is a nonprofit that's solely for women with diabetes. And I think that's pretty awesome. I stumbled upon you guys 
way early on when before I even started this as a podcast and I was just trying to find community and really find peers and I thought it was really nice to find an organization that's really focusing on how women go through it because for those who don't know you can be a non-diabetic and suddenly end up with diabetes if you decide that you would like to bring tiny humans into this world. I actually have an aunt who had uh, gestational, gestational, I can never say it right, <laughs> diabetes when she had my my cousin were a month apart and I that was the first time I'd ever heard about it. It was just like she told me years later when I was first diagnosed she's like yeah I was diabetic during my pregnancy. I'm like like temporary turned off or something like what it's so interesting to know how many different things can happen for women by ourselves in terms of how diabetes affects us so really glad to have you here but would love to know a little bit more about you if you could let folks know where you're from when you were diagnosed because i understand you're a diabetic as well and how did you get involved with the organization to rise to the top as being that's so funny so i'm my name is anna norton and my family is from cuba but i was born here in the united states like you i live on the hyphen Cuban American hyphen. And so that's always been a really interesting combination to be the first generation American born to immigrant parents and kind of figure out the nuances of culture living in America, being an American. But what's interesting is that that always translates into other things like health. And I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in 1993. I was 18 years old, and I was the first person in my Cuban family to be diagnosed with insulin-dependent diabetes, with type 1 diabetes. And no one in my immediate family um, had any experience with diabetes, not even type 2, which is so prevalent in the Hispanic Latino community. But we just had no clue how to how to deal with diabetes, how to address it, let alone injections, syringes, vials of insulin in the refrigerator, any of those things. And definitely a big learning curve in a Hispanic household where you had never been introduced to that. And we were living with a lot of misconceptions and stereotypes when it came to diabetes. As I'm sure a lot of people, they face when they're diagnosed with diabetes, not just in minority groups, but just diabetes in general. So a lot of misunderstandings. But it wasn't until 2011 that I learned about Diabetes Sisters. I was living in... um, I was living in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I was visiting my diabetes specialist, my endocrinologist, and there was a pamphlet in the waiting room about diabetes sisters. Up until that point, I had never um, had any experience working with other people that had diabetes. I really didn't know a lot of people with diabetes, let alone women living with diabetes. I had really navigated the journey of diabetes by myself. Um, I have a really healthy pregnancy. I had a really good support system with my husband and my family and my medical doctors. But I just, I didn't have any other woman that I could ask questions about diabetes or even later give them my own experience with lots of different things. But I saw this pamphlet and they were coming together to have a conference and it was right in Raleigh. And I said, maybe I should go to this. When I brought it home, my husband was like, go, you should go. And I was like, what if I don't like it? What if I don't like these women? What if they're like, what if they're like, you know what I was thinking? What if they're not nice? What if they're going to be mean to me? I don't know. And he was like, just go. If you don't like it, come home. And I did that and it was really life-changing for me from the moment that I walked into the ballroom where this group of women was. I just sat down. I didn't know anyone. I sat down next to another woman. She was checking her blood sugar and she like pulled out her meter. She did her test and then she like licked her finger. And I was like, she didn't do anything. Like she's, she's my kind of people. Like she just, 
she really addressed her diabetes. It didn't matter. This is what I have to do. So she wasn't like, oh, let me get a cotton swab. Let me get an alcohol swab. Let me, let me go do this in the bathroom. She just wasn't embarrassed. That's the way she did it at home. And for me, that's real. That was really real. And, and I was really hooked on that. And that weekend I met, there's a hundred women that used to go to this conference. So it was capped at a hundred. So I met 99 other women that were living just like me, that were doing that, that had a lot of the same questions that I had, that had lived many experiences that I had lived, that were sharing experiences about their lives that I was hoping to get to at some point. And then there were women that I could inspire like the woman that I sat down next to who said to me, I want to have a baby. Do you have babies? And I was like, yeah, I have a baby. And she was like, how did you do it? Because I want to have. And so to share that and have this like sort of peer conversations was really life-changing for me. And, you know, that saying, you don't know what you don't know. I didn't know what I didn't know about how we could help each other navigate through the changes in our lives as women and how diabetes could really play a factor in some of those changes. A year later, the CEO and founder of Diabetes Sisters, she said to me, I know that that you're home, you're home with your son, but I have some grant money. Do you want to come on staff and maybe help grow the organization a little bit more with me and build some programs? I think you have a lot of energy. And I was like, sure, why not? And together, we just built up some of the existing programs that Diabetes Sisters had, brought things to a new level. And in 2015, she decided that she wanted to do some other things in her life and in her career. And the board of directors asked me if I would step in, run the organization. And I happily, happily took that, that, that challenge, um, hired some more staff. We, we moved remotely. So we became a remote organization working in Chicago. And then I was able to hire really talented staff on two two ends of, of the country, one in Connecticut and one in Colorado, and then continue to grow things. And it's really been a wonderful experience to see the, of the evolution of the organization, but also to see the evolution of me as a woman that lives with diabetes, as I have changed over the last 10 years that I have been involved and the way that my life has mirrored the growth of the organization. It's just, it's very special. It's very personal. And the organization as a whole, it's very personal to all of us, those that are on staff and those that are volunteers, because we all live with some kind of diabetes and can bring a perspective and a passion that we might not have otherwise. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's really cool to go from taking a chance on a pamphlet to to now that is crazy inspiring first of all and to see it evolve because you know when I saw how long Diabetes Sisters had been around I was like I think when, when it was founded I was barely in college and so it wasn't even on my radar at the time I didn't get diagnosed till afterwards and so it was just like to know that it's been around so long and to see how much it's grown is really inspiring and I definitely checked in on understanding what the founder's mission was and how she got it to this point and starting with the conferences. And now you guys have evolved it into so many different variations. You've got the, I know I'm skipping around here, but you've got the Women's Summit. And then you guys also have the pod meetups and all of these things to just really connect with people. And like you said, you don't know what you don't know. And to think, I didn't know I needed to connect with other women to understand their experiences. And both my parents are type two as well. But me and my mom, we didn't really talk. She was the first to be diagnosed. I was probably like 11 or 12. 
at the time and I just knew that everything was sugar free and ice cream tasted weird. So I didn't know. She never, I've never actually to this day, have never seen her check her blood sugar. I've seen both of them take their medication and my dad is a type two that is insulin dependent. So like I've seen things like that, but I, it, it wasn't a thing until I brought it up and then I was diagnosed and then I'm like, okay, help me out here because I don't know what I'm doing. And most of the time the conversations happen between me and my dad, but he brought in a perspective that I didn't even, I didn't even need to know. Honestly, I'm literally driving home from my doctor's appointment, prescription in hand, getting ready to go pick it up. And he's, yeah, when you take metformin, it, it messes with your man parts. And I'm like, I don't have that, dad. I'm glad we were close enough to talk about these things. Do you want to talk about it? Are you uh, maybe? Yeah, I'm 25, dad. I don't know. I don't know anything about that. So we'd have these funny moments, but it's just, it, it's still hard to relate because our bodies yeah. are completely different. And so to find this organization and there's such a wealth of information on the site. I'm a master lurker. So I'm like, okay, how much can I just take in? And I, I love the beauty of if you want to get involved, you can get involved. But if you just need some information that you can feel good about, it's there. <laughs> and that was one of the biggest life changes for me is I can go through. And I was finding women of all ages because that was one of the big things. It's like I'm, I'm 25, almost six years ago. So I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to expect. I don't even know if I still want to have kids. There's a whole thing you know, that to, to think about. And I didn't realize how much diabetes can affect your sexual health. And when it comes to wanting to get pregnant and when you age and menopause and all these things, I'm like, I, oh, I didn't, I just thought I took the pills and I'll go home and that's it. And it's so much more. And it makes you feel, it's a little overwhelming, but not in a way that's, I don't know what to do because I'm watching and I'm reading living examples of, hey, Calm down. I know you're freaking out. I know you're literally in your head right now freaking out. Calm down. We got your back. And that's what the Diabetes Sisters have been for me to be able to just like, all right, I'm not finding anything else. Why am I doing the Google doctor thing? Just go to Diabetes Sisters and I'm pretty sure I'll find something. Well, so. well that's, that, that makes me so happy. It really does. And it, it really warms my heart. And I have goosebumps as you're saying that because that's what Diabetes Sisters was founded upon. It was the, the founder of Diabetes Sisters, Brandy Barnes. She had a really lonely pregnancy living with type 1 diabetes. She didn't have anybody that could share any information with her. And both Brandy and I, we had our children at a time where there was some diabetes technology to help us along the way, but there wasn't a lot. And there wasn't a lot of conversations. Both she and I had our pregnancies during the time of blogging. And a lot of bloggers. And a lot of bloggers were talking a little bit about their diabetes, but not certainly not their pregnancies. And so she said, what can be created so that women don't feel alone with the pregnancy? And then she was like, but what about like when they're depressed or what about when they're having sexual issues or what about when they're dating and they want to talk to the person that they're dating about their diabetes or when it's time to get married. And so she started thinking about this sort of life progression, which goes hand in hand with the fact that diabetes at whatever stage you are diagnosed with it, is an educational journey. It's an educational disease, right? So you talked about being like so overwhelmed. I think everyone that's diagnosed with diabetes, regardless of if they're eight years old or 18 or 80 years old, they're overwhelmed because there's so many aspects of your physical and mental health that diabetes affects. And that's where diabetes started. And it was just a website where women could go and little by little, these forums, it was 2008. So people were still using forums and having conversations. And that was where this group of women said, 
there's a, a TCOYD conference, Taking Care of Your Diabetes Conference. Their day-long conference is not put on by Diabetes Sisters, but there was one that was meeting in Raleigh, North Carolina. And so the women in the forum said, let's all go to this thing. And when it's over at five o'clock, let's go meet outside the convention hall and let's finally meet in person. And that's what happened. And it was dozens of women that had been on these forums and they all got to meet each other and then was like, wow, this is incredible. And the following year, the Weekend for Women was born, which was a gathering just for women, a um, hundred women. That was the gathering that I went to in 2011. And for a lot of women, really life-changing again. And then to sit down and have conversations about sexual health, to have conversations about complications, but to have some conversations that could be really difficult, but to be in a room with other women that could either share their experiences or share their fears about that and not feel judged about them, just to feel supported, not to have a healthcare professional like wag their finger at them and say, you're doing it wrong, was really important. And at the end of that gathering that weekend, women had come from neighboring states. So they had taken buses from Georgia and they had come from Virginia and they were like, we can't wait until next, next year to do this again. again. What uh, can we do? So they were like, the what can we do? <laughs> and that's where the pods came from. Yeah. yeah. And pod stands for part of diabetes sisters. And we just got together with the women and we were like, all right, let's set these things up. And they were really grassroots, monthly meetings, seven, seven or eight, eight women, women in like somebody's <laughs> living room. And it was really just to talk about challenges and struggles and successes. And then over the years, we evolved that program and made it partly educational, partly peer support. And we really started to work with some health advisors to help us create these modules where we could have really deep conversations. So now those pods meetups, they still meet once a month, even during COVID, we're all virtual, we're back to virtual, right? So we're full circle, um, but we won't be virtual forever because we will get on the other side of this uh, COVID pandemic. But we have these different topics we talk about every month. Um, so we'll talk about diabetes and heart disease, diabetes and kidney health, diabetes and mental health, depression, eating disorders, lo lots of different things. We have open topics. We talk about pregnancy. We talk about menopause. And one of the big things that we talk about at the meetups is bridging the divide between the different types of diabetes. Because Diabetes Sisters is an all-inclusive organization. So you don't have to have type 1 to be a part of it. You don't have to have type 2 to be a part of it. Any kind of diabetes, even pre-diabetes, is welcomed at our meetups, provided that you are just, that you're over 18. Because we do talk about the nitty gritty stuff. So we talk about sex and we talk about dating and we talk about menopause and we talk about some other stuff. other stuff <laughs> that, you know, that sometimes, that sometimes younger women might not, not want to hear about, about or their parents not, might not want them to hear about that. We talk about drinking and alcohol and diabetes. And so those are things that we have seen, again, in this evolution of life with diabetes that are necessary to discuss. We're a group of over 50,000 women that either follow us on social media or come to our pods meetups or attend any other programs. I've been to Weekend for Women conferences in the past. And all of those women are really special to us because without them, we wouldn't be a community. Yeah. Wow. And the community is so huge. It started out that way. Just mm -hmm. I remember those forums. 
oh my gosh, for, forum day, <laughs> sitting in my room. Yes. Yeah. I think the main forum I was on was, was for my hair because I just started letting my hair go curly and I didn't know what to do and know what products. And I used to live on the, that in gaming forums because I do game. Yeah. So it's just like all, all the nerds. No. For, for, forums, forums I remember being, being part of a couple of different, of different forums, forums, not just diabetes, but lots of things, parenting ones. And I remember just the, the thrill of logging back in and seeing that somebody had replied to you, right? That someone had addressed or had really validated what you were asking or answered your question. And those are the early days of what social media has turned into, but they were really personal to us because our communities were smaller. And but then to bring that into an in-person thing is really transformational to a lot of people. And that's what we were able to do back in 2010, 2011. Not that we still don't have a very robust presence and a great informative website, like you were saying. You can search up anything because we've archived everything that goes into our, into our website. And we have professionals that write for us and share their experience and their expertise. And what I love is that our volunteers, especially the healthcare ones, will come back and say, I wrote something for you in 2015, but it's not relevant anymore. And I want to update it because somebody might still be looking for it. So let's update something about prevention or something about treatment. And so that's really great. But I think one of the big things that Diabetes Sisters has done for the community of women that live with diabetes and the, the people that really like care about them and follow them and, and stand next to them is that it's created a lot of patient empowerment. You know, a, a, a lot of patient empowerment, and it's really brought to light the fact that we, as the people living with diabetes, are in charge of what's going to happen in our health. And we sit around the table. Well, first of all, we should be at the table when we're discussing the care. But second of all, we should be demanding the best care. We should be asking questions. We should be seeking the best preventative care or the best preventative actions and the best preventive, the best treatment when we are diagnosed with something, whether it's that we want to take advantage of new drug therapies for diabetes, new technology for diabetes, new drug therapies that have contraindications or counterindications for our heart health, for our kidney health, for our mental health. And so I think that's really important. And I know that a lot of the women in our community have always come back and said, hey, I didn't know I could fire my doctor, but on Monday morning, I'm going to fire my doctor and I'm going to get a better doctor. That's big. That is really huge. And that's huge across the board. And doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter if you are American born and have had access to, to the American healthcare system or if you're an immigrant and or if it's a cultural thing that has hindered you from getting the best care. I think that's really important that we teach that or that we empower women um, typically at the, the forefront of their homes, of their careers. Women juggle a lot of things. They're differently abled than, than men in some aspects, because just sometimes the way that, that we are innately, that allows us to juggle so many things. But for us to be at the helm, usually of our households and of our lives, to be empowered is instrumental. And it teaches our offspring and our future generations better than previous generations have taught us. Yeah, I think you, especially for the, the patient advocacy thing, because um, <laughs> I remember getting extremely angry when my mom was telling me about an unrelated diabetes thing that she was having, so this strange sensation in her arms, wanted to make sure it wasn't any heart issues, things like that, all checked out. But as she was going to her different specialists, she was saying like, yeah, go see them, I tried that I have diabetes and all these things, and I'll start getting lectured by them. 
And I'm like, did you say anything? She's like, no, I just let it. I'm just like, okay. Because she was so overwhelmed, she just shut down. And I'm like, mom, I, I know I'm a little, a little forward, but you have to tell them, hey, dentist, thank you so much for being concerned about my medical condition. Can you please just get back to, I have a medical right. team that manages all of my diabetes things. So I, I'm good. I appreciate it. But let's get back to the regular scheduled program, which is you're supposed to be focusing on my teeth. And so mm-hmm. I told her, I said, you have to do that because not only does it teach them how they should be respecting you and interacting with you, but it's gonna re- they're going to remember that for the next female patient that comes in that might have the same situation. Like you have to yeah, put yes. your foot down. You do it for everything else. You do it when I'm acting up, but do it with your doctors. They work for you. They are not, yeah. you know, yes. just because they have the degrees and the titles, at much respect, because I'm not willing to go through that much school. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not willing to go through the effort that it is to be a doctor, but it is a partnership. And I was saying with the past guest, I write a list. Every doctor I see, here's everything, whether I hand it to them or I read it out loud. These are the things that I need to discuss with you that I need answers for, because I definitely have had some doctors who like to monologue. I definitely have had some doctors who completely missed my question and then send me on my merry way after 20 minutes, even though I was just waiting 20 minutes. And I'm left feeling hopeless because I'm like, I didn't get the support that I needed. So I definitely appreciate that the Diabetes Sisters community sets that example and provides that insight because it's something that even if you're not a diabetic, women going into medical care is difficult. Advocating for yourself is difficult. Don't even get me started on the cultural sides of things because that can be a whole nother level. So it's really great that y'all have that. Now, I do have one quick question about the pods and how they've evolved. You guys actually have a leadership aspect to your pods. How did that come about? So the pods had been in existence for about five years. And in 2015, we were like, how can we better support these leaders? They're volunteer leaders and they're key leaders. They're women that are out in their communities, right? They're like like an equivalent of a promotora and an ambassador. They're an ambassador, women that live with diabetes in their communities. And so we asked them if they would come to Raleigh for a weekend so that we could give them some really specific and specialized attention. And we started to really invest in the leadership. And so we created a leadership institute. We brought in experienced speakers, specialists to talk about specific topics. But then we also talked about how to run the pods meetup, how to recruit women, how to keep them, how to moderate the group. If you have someone who's overtaking a conversation or people that can't stay on track. So we really wanted to invest in that development, but then again, also provide more information so that when members of the, of their community were coming to them and saying, I have gestational diabetes, like, I don't know what to do. Then they could say, okay, we learned about this is a referral site, or this is where you should go. Or if we had somebody else that said, I think like my issues are beyond the diabetes right now. I think I need to talk to someone that they could say, yes, of course you can. There are mental health professionals that focus on diabetes, that focus on burnout and diabetes, and to really enable them and empower them to be stronger, even stronger forces in their communities. And we've been doing that Leadership Institute now, and this is going to be our seventh one this coming fall. Last year, we switched it to a virtual platform and this year as well. But we've been able to bring together up to 50 women in one weekend. And they're women leaders all over the country because our meetups are in about 25 states right now. 
So there are women that are all over the country. They have come out to Raleigh. They've come to Chicago. We get them all in a hotel for the weekend. We do a lot of fun things, but we also do a lot of learning and we do a lot of sharing. But it's really instrumental because otherwise these women would not meet. If you have a woman in Georgia and another woman in California and one in Colorado, where would they meet? And so we're able to provide that intersect. And then they could say, I know you from the calls that we have, or I know you from the emails. But then you create these different relationships that are, yes, they're started by diabetes, but they're bound by other things like friendship, like sisterhood, other common interests, whether they're their parents or they're in the same career or they love to travel. And so you create new kinds of bonds. And those are really important. And we have heard a lot of sadness, the fact that right now we're doing everything virtual um, because women, we want to see each other. I think inherently many of us like that, that that circle of sharing, of not being judged, of being supported. And so the Leadership Institute, yes, it is for leadership, but it's so much more because it's a bonding experience. So it's a true sisterhood. And that Leadership Institute has really demonstrated us that to us over the years. So how were pods started? I have to, I feel like I tried to check for a Texas pod at one point and then I got distracted. I'm, I'm shiny uh, object syndrome. So we actually have a pods meetup in Austin. What? Yeah. Yes. It meets at Cedar Park, Park, Cedar Grove. Yes. Yes. 20 minutes away. What? Uh, that, that's that's where, where it meets. Yes, that's where it meets. And I can give you information when we're offline. But yeah, that pods meetup has been going on for about, oh gosh, maybe three years now. That's really great. What's beautiful about all the pods meetups, not just the Austin one, is that it's a varied group of women. So women of different ages, of different colors, of different nationalities, ethnicities, and different types of diabetes. So when you're sitting in the circle, you've got all this combined years of experience of diabetes. Dude, I need to and, connect yeah. with yes. this pod. What? Three years? Dang, <laughs> yeah. I've been missing right, out. <laughs> we do. Right now, that's our only only meetup in Texas. But we used to have two meetups in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. We have meetups in California, Washington State, Colorado, Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, Illinois, New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, so on and so forth. It's Wherever we have a woman that has a passion for helping other women with diabetes, we'll say, reach out to us. We can train you. We can help you find other people in the community because there are a lot of women out there that have diabetes. And a number, there's a lot of women that want to meet other women and want to share in the journey. And we are, we are limitless in how many people we can reach. It's just that we need more volunteers to help us to come forward. Like we would love to have a woman reach out to us and say, I live in Little Rock, Arkansas, and I want to start a group here. Or I live in Duluth. Is it Minnesota? Duluth, Minnesota. And I want to start a group here because there's people with diabetes that live everywhere. And it's in big cities and it's in small towns and it's in urban areas and it's in rural areas. Diabetes is not going away. Um, As a matter of fact, we're seeing more and more cases of it, but the need for support and education is going to be something that's necessary from now until beyond. We're here to provide that for as long as we're able to provide that. Yeah. Speaking of providing things, like what other types of resources are available? So we have, we've got the pod meetups, which to me, because it started Mm -hmm. out as a community effort and it's continuing to be a community effort and it's beautiful to see it evolve. And it just starts of somebody raising their hand and saying, hey, I'm willing to support a group, which I think is amazing because there have been some, you come across other organizations that want to do change in the community, but there's so many loopholes that you have to jump through 
just to get things started and for you guys to say hey we've got the training you just need to be willing to to do it is amazing what other types of things or resources do you guys offer i know you guys offer some things that aren't necessarily targeted towards our our main demographic of women and that you guys have partnered with so many people to make sure people have access to whatever in case they just land on the page by accident so we talked about the pods meter program program, which is our signature signature program program, because there's no other for women only diabetes support peer meetup program in the country that we know of. We talked about the Weekend for Women conference series, and we talked about our website that has a lot of information. In 2016, though, we created a minority initiative program that was not online. It was something that was developed really thinking about the African-American and the Hispanic community. And we really wanted to go out to different communities in grassroots efforts, not to ask for long-term commitments, but really to just come in, teach something. And so that folks in underserved communities could really learn something in a half hour and put it into practice the next morning. That was really important to us to do that. And we reached out to our board of directors and we said, do you have any connections in underserved communities um, with underserved populations? This is what we want to do. And we actually met in a health ministry of a church outside of Washington, D.C. the first time. And we were not we were thinking primarily of type two diabetes as well. That was or or pre-diabetes. And all we did was put together a small panel of resources that were available in that area. So we brought out the FDA, we brought out the American Diabetes Association, we were there, and we just said, let's talk about diabetes in the African American community. 60 women showed up just like on a on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night. And when we asked a couple of them, like, why are you here? Why did you come? We heard two women in the audience say, my doctor says I have prediabetes. And so we said, okay. And then what did they, what advice did they give you? What resources did they provide? And they both said, they didn't give us anything. They said, come back in a year. And I remember one woman was so angry and she said, I don't want to go back in a year and have the doctor tell me I have type two diabetes and here's some pills. Yeah, I felt that. And and, and she said it, she was so, so, she was was just just so raw raw and honest about it. it. I don't want him to give me some pills. I want to know how I can prolong this pre-diabetes stage. I want to go back and have him tell me, hey, your numbers are lower. And so then we said, all right, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what these numbers mean. Let's talk about what prediabetes means. Let's talk about treatment options. Let's talk about empowering you. Let's talk about things that you can do between now and a year from now. And what we heard from there was like, this is incredible. We didn't know that we could take matters into our own hands. That's very special. From there, we branched out to South Florida. We started working with a Spanish-speaking healthcare community And we brought in educators that spoke Spanish, doctors that spoke Spanish. We brought them resources that were translated so that they could go home and look at pamphlets and read about what I was saying, heart disease, and they could read about kidney health and they could read about their mental health. We started doing some nutrition conversations, very specific to culture. We started talking about how to eat around the table when you have diabetes and how to not lose your culture. We had another event again in that Washington area where we brought in a cook and he did a whole Thanksgiving dinner that was low sodium, low sugar, low carb. And he cooked the whole thing. And some women were like, I'm not eating it. Like I've never had just a turkey breast. The chef 
knew all about nutrition. And he was saying, he explained like, why would we eat a turkey breast instead of having all the dark meat in the turkey? Why are we going to have sweet potatoes instead of a russet potato? How can we make a, a dressing or, or a jelly? What's that thing? Like the sauce. Yeah, the cranberry sauce. How do we make that so it's more fine to tell you for yeah, yeah, the sauce, right? The cranberry sauce. And by the end of the night, people were tasting everything and loving it. But one of the things that really stood out for me was we had an older woman um, that was visiting and she said, you mean to tell me that I can just buy a turkey breast? I don't have to buy a whole turkey? And the chef said, yeah, you just they sell them at Walmart. They sell them at the grocery store. And she said, just the breast. And he said, yeah, this is where you find it in the store. And she said, it's just me and my husband and I cook a 12 pound turkey every year. And I don't need to do that because we both have diabetes. And so it turns into this whole thing that the next day she could go to the store and buy something that she didn't know existed, cook it and have a healthier meal, but she could still preserve that sitting around the table with her husband and having Thanksgiving, right? In the way that she wanted it. And those are really important. As the years have progressed, we have grown that program. We do another program as part of the Minority Initiative in um, central New Jersey, and it's focused on the South Asian community. So we do some some like Bali X dancing, a lot of conversations about South a South Indian cooking. And so we've done that. We're out in New York City. Here in Chicago, we work with a local gym, a minority-owned gym. And so we will do a Q&A conversations about diabetes followed by an exercise class. And so we'll talk about the importance of exercise for blood sugar management, or we'll dispel myths and misconceptions about diabetes. And it's very informal, but it's really focusing on educating uh, people that are at risk of diabetes, that already have diabetes, that want to learn more about diabetes. And so those have been really successful for us and really relevant in the different communities where we serve. And of course, we want to continue to grow that program. It's hard right now because we're virtual. Um, but last summer, we were able to create a series of videos as part of the program, some in Spanish, some in English, uh, focusing on mental health, on exercise, on nutrition, on eating healthily if you're sheltering in place and you only have a pantry and canned foods. And so like how to make those meals better for you. And so those have been really successful. But again, it's grassroots and learning about progress, not perfection, learning about um, what to ask your doctor, learning about the medications that you take. Culturally, sometimes we go to the doctor if we go and they give us a prescription and we take it and we don't know what it does for us. And I speak us because I'm in a minority group too. And I think about my parents who are older and their doctor just says, take this. And they say, okay. <laughs> but then you say, what is it for? It's for my blood pressure. Do you know what it does? No, not really. Do you even know what having high blood pressure means? No, not really. Oh, it probably means I could have a stroke. Well, yeah, it means you could have a stroke, but it also means you could develop kidney disease. It also means that you could get really bad headaches. It also means that it could affect all of these other parts. And I think that having conversations like that with People that are in underserved communities only allows them to learn more about their condition, but also to teach their offspring and their grandkids and other generations so that we're not falling in the same cycle over and over again. I'm really lucky. And I think you are too, Taylor, in that we're really empowered people that live with chronic illness and we know what to ask and we're breaking a cycle. We're breaking that cycle because we're asking more questions and we're, we are, we can be helpful to generations that came before us.
and empower them to ask questions as well. But there's not enough of that yet. We need to keep working so that we're our communities are creating healthier people. Yeah, no, something so deep because like you said, the minority community, Hispanic and black are typically the highest on the stat sheet for diabetes. Mm -hmm. And half of it is, we don't even know because we won't go. And because we're sometimes we're scared or sometimes we're worried about the cost or sometimes, I don't know, there's a lot of factors. Another thing, and, and you touched on it a little bit because you talked about your aunt with gestational diabetes. Um, years ago, one of the things that minority women don't realize is that over a certain age, and just because of ethnicity, we are already predisposed to gestational diabetes. But what a lot of women don't know is that if you have gestational diabetes, your chances of developing type 2 diabetes later in life is much, much bigger than if you didn't have gestational. It's really important after, and I like to call it the fourth trimester of pregnancy, because usually in that fourth trimester of pregnancy, you have your baby and then your gestational diabetes goes away. But women forget that they had diabetes when they were pregnant, or they're like, that was just a pregnancy thing. But it's really important to get screened in subsequent years after your pregnancy and make sure that your A1C, that your blood sugar is where it needs to be because more than likely, when I say that, that's the truth, more than likely you'll develop type 2 diabetes later. And it's 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 easier to help prevent it or to slow down that progression if you know that you're predisposed to it. And I think a lot of doctors don't address that. And then again, as women, we don't know what we don't know, so we don't know to ask for things. And that's something that's really big that you hear a lot of women in our community say, I had gestational diabetes and then it went away. I had to give myself insulin shots while I was pregnant and then it went away and I was fine. Now my child is 10 or 12 or 15 and now I have type 2 diabetes. Why? You're already predisposed and then you had a pregnancy where you had diabetes and that adds to the risk. We don't talk about that enough. That's something that there's not, not a, lot a lot of conversations, conversations about. about. Absolutely. And I think the the mm-hmm. uh, other pieces when I was talking to a guest who has Modi diabetes, which we're learning about so many different types. And even for some of my friends who were like misdiagnosed, I learned that I needed to go back check with my doctor because I'm like, yep. okay, yep. both of my parents are type two. Both sides have very close relatives that have type two, both of my grandmothers and things like that. So I'm like, I might have a deeper thing going on here genetically, and I need to ask for um, the right testing for all of that. I need to ask to know, hey, yes, I know I'm black, I'm a woman, and I already have these kind of extra conditions that could aid to that. And sure, lifestyle can also aid to that, but both of my parents, way late. And I got hit at 25. I I told my sister, I said, we have different moms, but I'm like, hey, it doesn't hurt to get the blood test once a year, at least. Just because mm-hmm. you just it, never, it does not. never know. And I now have spent two and a half years, my first, my, my in denial phase, thinking it was my fault because I was at my heaviest and I'm coming from college life of like partying and drinking and doing all these things and no sleep and all the wrong, terrible things. And so it's, oh yeah, well type two, the stigma is your lifestyle sucks. So that's why you have it. And now I learn, no, nah, it's not just that. And I don't even fully agree with that statement because yes, you can add to it, but like, you living and surviving to see another day. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. We just haven't been taught. We don't know what we don't know. And so now I learn I can get a a different set of tests to see what my genetic factors are because what I don't know is 
I could have had the same result and been the cleanest thing possible mm -hmm. because it's a genetic thing. There's so many factors that doctors, um, and I'll benefit that maybe it's so much new information trying to keep up with it. I don't know what the, after you've become a doctor of practicing for a while, the path is of keeping up with information. But even still, like I got the same thing. Went in, yep, diabetic, here's a pamphlet. Maybe invest in some diabetes education. Where do I do that? Mm -mm. Read the pamphlet. Go home. And mm -hmm. especially for minorities, we have to empower ourselves to learn and to push past the fear of the unknown. Because now that you can make decisions, and it, it's because my dad talks about this too, about older generation where I'm like, I just take the pills and that's it. That should solve it. And it's no, you need to know what it does. You need to know why it does this. Mm -hmm. You need to know if it's working for you. Maybe the pills that you're taking might not be working. My whole regimen got switched up. And it worked 10 right, times right. better than my old one because I sought out more information. A lot of type twos that I know of don't know to go see an endocrinologist. I just saw one this year and I've been at this six years. I didn't know. Yeah. So yeah. it's important for, and that's why I love the minority initiative because we're getting hit the hardest and nobody's willing to sit down with us and make it plain. <laughs> <laughs> just make it yeah. plain. No, no. And as <laughs> new treatments are developed, so let's just talk real, right? So diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, typically the doctor says, here's some metformin. Okay, here's your gateway diabetes drug, metformin. Okay, for some people, it's great. You know, for some people, it helps. It does a lot of stuff. But then you might ask somebody, what does that metformin do? I don't know. Is it an insulin pill? No, it's not an insulin pill. So what does it do? I don't know what it does. Okay, so then let's talk about what it does. It like it restricts your liver from producing extra glucose. So that's why your blood sugar doesn't go up. And it helps with your insulin resistance. It makes your like pancreas, what your pancreas is producing of insulin, it makes it work better. It makes it more efficient. Oh, know that. Okay, now you know that. But then some people, and this is sometimes the progression of disease, and it doesn't mean that you did it right or you did it wrong or you were good or you were bad, but sometimes that treatment doesn't work anymore. So they introduce something else. What does that something else do? You know, and sometimes we see that progression and people get frustrated and they say failing at diabetes or I'm a bad, I hate saying this, I'm a bad diabetic. I hate that. There's no such thing. Or I'm so embarrassed and I'm so ashamed. I can't get this under control. Oh, especially when you get put you know, on insulin. That's always yeah, yeah, right? the failure to right, get right. put on insulin. It's not, not a failure. failure. It just, it just means, means that the other, other treatments, treatments, you're progressing. progressing. It doesn't mean that it's good. It doesn't mean that it's bad. The ultimate goal in diabetes is for your blood sugar to be in a healthy range. There's no magic number, right? There's no magic number. People are like, I want to have an A1C of whatever that number is. That's a good goal to have. But let's talk about range. Let's be realistic, right? Let's be realistic with our blood sugars. Okay, I'd like for my blood sugar to be 100 when I wake up in the morning. That's not always going to be the case. Sometimes it's going to be higher. Sometimes it's going to be lower. Sometimes it's going to be a lot higher. But that doesn't matter. What matters is the action that you take to bring it down to where you want it to be. But having a range makes things more realistic. So then you could say, I'd like for my blood sugar to be between 80 and 150. That's going to give you a little bit of leeway. It's not going to restrict you. And I think that sometimes when we see these numbers, we're driven by these numbers. It can be really detrimental to our mental health. And with diabetes, we are spending most of the time, most of our living time, managing it by ourselves. So you said you just visited an endocrinologist. So many people with type 2 diabetes don't see an endocrinologist. They see their regular general practitioner, maybe an internist 
once or twice a year for 20 minutes and 20 minutes. So that's 40 minutes in a whole entire year. So what can that physician say to you that you don't already know? Because if you're monitoring at home, then you know, you have an indication. Diabetes is, self, is a self-managed disease. And for us to put that kind of pressure on ourselves is never, ever good. Because if we're trying to be perfect, a perfect person with diabetes, we're going to burn out so quick. So it's really important to set like realistic goals to sit down when you have those 20 minutes with your doctor and say, what's realistic for me? And this applies for minority groups, but for mainstream America with diabetes. This is what my life is. I have a job where I sit at a desk all day. I drive a truck. I live in an urban area. I don't have a lot of access to fresh foods. So let's talk, or I have, I take care of a bunch of kids. I have two or three kids. Um, I don't know, whatever your factors are, but let's take all of those things into account. And now how do I best manage my diabetes with what I have? have? Yeah, yeah, behaviors. I think that's something that's so huge that we don't talk about Mm -hmm. enough in in health in general, honestly, of we we are trying to treat symptoms all the time and we're throwing drugs at everything. But it's like, what are the behaviors that are changing? If, If my behavior is, okay, I used to wake up every morning and I'd slam a cup of juice because I was thirsty. Maybe we switch that to water. It's not right. all, of, and I'm just picking something out of the air, but there, there are different behaviors that I noticed that when I changed it, my management said, I woke up this morning and my blood sugars were high. And I'm like, I just woke up. Like it, it doesn't stop happening. And I, and I have a CGM. Mm-hmm. Everybody thinks getting a CGM solves all the problems. No, it just gives me more information because that's what I asked yeah. for. And so it's just like, how can I adjust my behaviors throughout the day to align up with what I need for me, because not only is diabetes a self-managed disease, I feel like it's a very unique individual disease as well, because how I live is different than how you live and how you live exactly. is different from the next person and the next person. And so we have to advocate for ourselves, like we said earlier, and be willing to learn what everything is doing. I, I um, I've been in, a, in talks with a particular uh, health company that you guys have been advertising on your Instagram. I won't say the name, but I'm talking about. And <laughs> what I loved about going through my conversation with them is every medication that I've been on so far, the specialist was able to tell me exactly what each one did. And I've never been so excited to talk to someone. I'm like, oh my God, somebody who knows what my medication does. Thank you. Because we have to know, we have to find that out for ourselves. And it's helpful when we could partner with people who know and can help advise us and can help just, hey, just turn your head just a little bit that way. And that's the direction you want to go in because it's such a struggle to to do that by yourself and to have these different types of spaces like Diabetes Sisters. It's amazing to learn so much. And when I first got my CGM, my dad was like, wait, I can like see what's going on with you, especially now that they've approved the second app. I'm able to get my partner With, with the alarms, right? Yeah, yeah. I literally alarm. cannot yes. wait to change the sensor because I accidentally started it on the reader and not my phone <laughs> didn't know that but now my partner has access because we live separately and he was like wait a minute I could monitor your grandmother oh I'm like yeah yeah you could yeah because she yeah. you know yeah. has a tendency she has certain behaviors that don't always bode well for her when it comes to managing her blood sugars and sometimes just because she's just not aware and mm-hmm. all of these things it, it helps to have this information to yeah. share yeah. because he didn't know that and he learned that through me this is and he so he edits the podcast for me so this is like our passion project Uh if you will since we both are diabetic but it's just there's so much out there and to have spaces that can help just just make it plain and be able to make it absorbable so that way I can feel good going forward to take steps and even if I'm nervous about it 
I know and I can start asking the right questions because sometimes I don't even know what questions to ask until I talk to somebody and say, here's what I'm having issues with. What do I ask? What do I do? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's another point point that you're saying, saying, like, sometimes sometimes we don't don't know. know, right? One of the big things with women and diabetes that isn't often talked about is menstrual cycle or or reproductive health. So like for younger women, your menstrual cycle, your monthly, your period, whatever you want to call it, and how in in type one diabetes, in my experience, I don't have type two diabetes, so I don't know. But I know in type one diabetes, like my blood sugars were immensely erratic the week before my period would come. And then the week that my period would come, my blood sugars would like tank, they would just be low. Yeah. And it wasn't until I met other women at Diabetes Sisters that I was like, what are we supposed to do? By then I was wearing an insulin pump and it was as easy as change your basal rates on your insulin pump so that the week before your period, you're getting more insulin and it's bringing your blood sugar down. And then the week that you have your period, you take less insulin because you're bottoming out. And that wasn't anything that my endocrinologist ever talked to me about. And it's not something that I ever thought to ask my OBGYN. Now I know. So as I have progressed in my reproductive health, like I'm in my 40s now, I can talk to my, now I know to talk to my OBGYN about my diabetes. And I didn't know that before, but I learned that from other women. So now I could say, oh, okay, like I'm probably in perimenopause. I don't know. I think I am. I don't know. But but what are ways to alleviate my blood sugar as I go through this change? And then my GYN now will say, what about this option? What about that option? What about this option? This is a low hormone option. It might, it shouldn't affect your blood sugar, but it has to become this like team effort. But in the past 20 years ago, I didn't know to ask my OBGYN questions about my diabetes. And I didn't know to share that information with my endocrinologist. So it was just very siloed information for every doctor. But now I have noticed over the years, like, I belong to a healthcare group. So my retina specialist, like my ophthalmologist knows what my A1C is. My doctor knows what my retina specialist is saying about my eyes. My OBGYN is seeing what, you know, my A1C was and so on and so forth. So there's these really beautiful like lines that are all intersected and everybody knows what's going on. It has to become more like that or that like my endocrinologist is asking questions about my heart health. Or as I get older, I've lived with diabetes now for 28 years. We start to talk about what's going on with your heart. Is your heart protected? Because again, we have two factors, right? Women with with women higher propensity of heart disease, and it presents itself very differently than in men. And then diabetes, coupled with that, the majority of people that have diabetes complications and death from complications is because of heart disease. So then how do we marry those two things? So now the endocrinologist talks about that. Same thing with kidney health. Let's talk about your kidneys. Do you have proteins in your urine? How do we treat that? Or how do we prevent that so that, you know, we can prolong anything like that. And again, let's go back to that. It's not anybody's fault. It's a progressive disease. And it affects a lot of our different organs. With women, we talk a lot about thyroid health. Thyroidism is another autoimmune disease like diabetes. So sometimes we have to talk about that and our, how are our levels because that affects us hormonally and it affects our mood and it affects how happy or not happy we are. Let's talk about our minds. Let's talk about how, how is our mental health. 
Are we burnt out? Is it overwhelming? Do we have too many things on our plates? Let's talk about our feet health, our circulation, all of those things. But it used to be very siloed and it's not as siloed anymore, but it needs to continue in that trajectory. And then in our case as women, let's talk about like our lady parts and let's not be embarrassed about it. Same thing. Let's talk about sex and let's talk about how diabetes can affect our sex health or our sex lives. If you're younger or you're not married or whatever, let's talk about how to talk about, talk to di about diabetes with partners, not just with medications, but also with beeping things that we might wear with apps that we might use just to make this a little bit more comfortable having better conversations. Yeah. I think it's always interesting when you connect with other diabetics because then there's certain phrases of things that make sense. And one phrase that stood out for me is when I talked to my medical team. And I noticed I started saying that because it really is a team effort of like my primary mm -hmm. is always asking, hey, did you get your eye stuff done? And can we get a copy of that? And same thing with my endocrinologist. And now I have all of my doctors right now, except for my eye doctor, have the my chart thing so I can link everything yes. so you can see who, what test I did and when and what the results are. And it, it really is a team effort because... Um, like you said, you don't know how it has a ripple effect on you until you start asking questions about what this does. I'm actually opposite of you in that when it's that time of the week, it goes up. <laughs> I have mm -hmm. to do. Okay. And especially because I, I have an IUD in terms of birth control. So I don't have super heavy, but symptoms hit me heavy. So I'll cramp. I'll have the crazy cravings and I'll be really dehydrated a lot of times and then just moody as hell. And so mm -hmm. I have to adjust because I want to eat everything in sight and it's always salty chocolate, which are probably the two things that I don't need the most of and adjust. Okay, how can I eat around this and still meet my craving where I'm at? But like I'm not binging and sending right, my blood right. sugar skyrocketing even more because I know that during this time. I tend to see higher numbers. So how can I stay hydrated? How can I do these things? How can I give myself a little bit of grace? But sometimes it's just mental grace of, okay, I'm going to sit on this couch and I'm going to eat my sugar-free ice cream and I'm going to be okay about it. And I might cry a little bit just because that's just what happens, but it's fine. And then tomorrow we're going to, we're going to keep pivoting and keep adjusting those behaviors because that's yeah. what we yes. have to do. I love that you, that you give yourself grace. grace. And, I and I think in life and especially in diabetes, we don't often give ourselves enough grace. We don't. And again, it's because we have this image of what is like perfect. P perfect is when we feel great. That's perfect. Giving yourselves grace a couple of years ago, again, 28 years with diabetes, ups and downs. I've had terrible times with diabetes and I've had wonderful times with diabetes, if you could call it that. I've managed to make lemonade out of lemons. That's my approach. Every once in a while, I get real down in the dumps with diabetes. Like, I'm just like, it doesn't yeah, matter how much it's, it's like, like water, water right? Like it's not doing anything. Like, is it broken? What's going on? But I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, I, I said to my husband, I can't diabetes anymore. And he was like, what do you mean you can't diabetes anymore? And I was like, I just, I can't do it tomorrow. I'm just going to lay in bed all day. I'm going to consider it like my depressed diabetes day. And he was like, Really? I'm like, yeah, like you got to get the kid up. You got to get the kid to school. I ain't doing it. I'm not doing anything. I don't even care what my blood sugar is. I was like at that, it was a low for me. He was like, I'll give you a day. I'll give you a day to feel sorry for yourself. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to have a pity party because diabetes sucks and I hate it. And the alarm went off in the morning and I, I snoozed it. I turned it off, whatever. I put the covers over my head and I laid in bed until eight o'clock in the morning. And I was like, 
Shit, I, Shit, can't, I can't do this. Like, I gotta get off. I gotta, I gotta get my gotta kid off. I'll get dressed. <laughs> like I was just like, today's, today's like a new day. day. You know? But it's really interesting. The next year, I was like, hey, that day's coming up. I'm gonna have my pity party. And he was like, okay, go ahead. I, I didn't even last 10 minutes in bed. I was like, I gotta get up. I gotta work. I gotta, you know, and and I think that's like a, an inner strength. You're just like, so what if I have a bad day? I'm gonna allow myself grace to have the bad day, or I'm gonna reserve a day once a year to have my pity party and feel sorry for myself and all that stuff. But what's that going to do? Because the next day you got to get up and do it again. So it's just like that. What is it like this moment is the rest of your life or whatever it is like now is the moment where you're starting the rest of your life. That's it. You just got to go from this point. So what if you feel like you failed because you ate a pint of ice cream, right? While you were binge watching something on Netflix, (laughs) like Tomorrow, don't eat the ice cream. You know, like if that's, it's just giving ourselves grace and giving ourselves permission to not always do what is perceived as the right. The right thing is you have to, it's just like dieting. You can't restrict yourself from every single thing because when you fall off the diet wagon, you're going to go like absolutely nuts. So you do, you have to give yourself grace. You have to be patient with yourself. You have to love yourself. You have to just aspire to to do a little bit better every day. Not be perfect, but just progress, not perfection. And in, in diabetes, that's really relevant. That's really relevant. If we can see small changes, make small changes, and then start to see results, that should continue to inspire us. And the people that are around us and teaching the people that live with us or that we love or that love us about resiliency, um, about learning about chronic illness, about living or thriving with it, I, I think that's that, that, that really can strengthen your units. It can strengthen your inner circle. It can strengthen your approach to life and work and family and your extracurriculars. It's And I'm not cheesy like that. I'm not a, a weirdo about that sort of thing, but that's just the way that I approach it. And more often than not, it has been successful for me. I never dreamed 28 years ago that I would have a career in diabetes as a result of my diabetes diagnosis. Again, you make lemonade out of the lemons. So you try to progress. And then my learned experience hopefully is helping other people get to the point where I am much so that people don't have to struggle. And I think that's just a human nature thing. You try to make things easier for people that that come after you, diabetes or not. And that's the way that I approach it. I think a lot of people in the diabetes space approach it that way as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So on that note, before I let you get out of here, because you got CEO things to handle, what's (laughs) one piece of advice that you would give to women who are newly diagnosed? Again, the diabetes is an educational disease. It's 100% educational. It is a lifelong learning disease. So you're not going to learn everything on day one. And whatever you do learn can change over time. Because we're women, we evolve, it doesn't matter how old we are, we're continuously evolving. And our needs and our health is always going to change. I think that if you are a a person who seeks peer support, that's wonderful. It's not for everyone, but you can, if you're open to it, you can give something like that a try and you can learn from other people, other women that live with diabetes. Never be afraid to ask questions because if you have a question about your life with diabetes, guaranteed other women have had the same question. So it doesn't matter how preposterous it sounds in your mind, ask the question. And if you're ever feeling off, demand more tests for more answers. 
because you're the only one that can do that. You're the only one that lives with yourself 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, that would be my advice. And to maintain as positive an attitude, and I know that's not always uh, the case and it's not always feasible, but you survive every day that you're alive. We've, we always survive. And that's what we are as women. We're survivors. great conversation. I'm sad we have to let it end at this point. <laughs> There's just so much. But if this is any inkling for anybody listening or watching of the world of diabetes sisters, as I can tell you firsthand, this is very much what it's like of just being able to, to have real talk with other women and understand and learn and share experiences and perspectives to help you figure out the best treatment for you. And thank you so much for your time. I know you are doing a lot of great things, a lot of great work. So I'm very grateful for your time today. Oh. Where can people connect with Diabetes Sisters if you want to help support? How can people find you guys and, and do that? So, so you, you, can you can find, find us online, online on the World Wide Web. We are at diabetessisters.org. And we're on the different social channels on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle for all three is at diabetes sisters if you want to reach any of us if you want to share your story or you want to be a volunteer or help us you can reach us at info at diabetessisters.org and let us know tell us your story share with us share our information with others awesome thank you again so much for your time and your absolute golden wisdom oh. this is just, I, yeah i don't know there's just i'm probably gonna listen to this episode on repeat i'm not saying i don't like not hearing myself talk but like these types of conversations are just they make my heart so full because it's like it's just like a, a moment in time to exhale like somebody else gets it a just reminder somebody yeah. else yes. gets it. i hope that this episode is just as helpful to you guys as it has been for me but until then you already know every tuesday and thursday you can catch myself or myself and a friend and thank you so much and we'll catch you guys next time thank you What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Healing in Hindsight, your no BS source for thriving with diabetes. If you don't know me, I'm Taylor Danielle, and I am really just... I didn't want that conversation to end, y'all. I really didn't. If a two-hour-long podcast was available... I mean, it is available, but if I had more of Anna's time, it would have been a two hour long episode. No shame. Anna, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time and energy today. Wow, guys, just so much great insight and information in this episode. And I am so grateful to know that Diabetes Sisters is out there advocating for women all over the world, honestly, to be their own patient advocates, to ask for more, to um, share their stories and to know that we're not alone. And that everything that you experience, no matter what age and when you were diagnosed, that there's somebody there to help support you in whatever way that you need it. So if you're not following Diabetes Sisters already, be sure to head over to their Instagram, their Twitter, their Facebook, head over to their website, diabetesisters.org to learn more and to engage and to be able to find a place of support uh, for women alike. Now, with that being said, they do have a special page dedicated to their what they call uh, diabetes misters, uh, and it's a resource landing page. So that way, if you are a guy and you need some help finding some resources, they've pulled together some options to help our male diabetics as well. We don't want to leave you out, but you already know sometimes we just need to have spaces just for us gals. So I hope you guys liked today's episode. I think it was just so powerful and inspiring of how women evolved and how great we are despite 
having a condition that isn't always nice to us. And I think it just gave me such a breath of fresh air to keep going. Honestly, I literally had crazy numbers this morning. And even after I had breakfast and after today's conversation, I just feel better about what it's okay. And the next step that I can take is doing something good for myself and just to keep going. So you already know on all the social platforms, I really shouldn't say that because I'm really not on all the social platforms. <laughs> I'm only on like three or four, but you can find me on Facebook. Instagram is probably the best one to reach me at. And of course, YouTube to watch if you are listening and you like to see the conversation take place in real time. You can always head over to YouTube and watch a replay of this. Of course, you can also listen on all of your favorite podcast platforms. So the big four, Spotify, Google, Amazon, and Apple Podcast. And of course, if you don't mind, and if you're finding that the information throughout these seasons are helpful to you, or you just want to find a way to support the show, please consider heading over to Apple Podcast or podchaser.com and leaving a rating and a review. And this helps for the show to be seen. This helps to let me know if I'm heading in the right direction. I'm only sharing things that I am experiencing the community myself, but you are the listener. So let me know how I can make each episode better for you. But yeah, apple.com, apple.com, not apple.com. Apple.com is where you buy all the Apple products. Apple Podcasts, though, is where you can find the show and leave a review. And of course, if you leave a review, whether that's on Apple Podcasts or even on podchaser.com, podchaser, you do not need to have an account. Um, you can simply find the show and leave a review. Be sure to drop your Instagram handle in there. So I can thank you personally, because I think it's important that as you guys support the show, that I continue to tell you thank you and how much that I appreciate you guys listening and tuning in. And hopefully this is helpful. That's really the goal is to share some experiences and stories that are not only my own, but from others and hopefully give you resources and things to help you in your day to day journey. So you can leave a rating. You do not have to sugarcoat. No pun intended. You won't hurt my feelings if you feel like it's a two-star episode or whatever. I don't think it's a two-star episode. I'm saying that right now. But be honest, share how you feel, and let me know what I can do to make this more valuable to you. So I am going to go off now and enjoy my day. And remember just to take it one moment at a time. Because although diabetes is not something that ever just ends, it doesn't have to control me. I can control it. So... Good blood sugars, good sleep, good all the things. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day, week, wherever you are at the time that you listen or watch this episode. Tune in next week at Tuesdays and Thursdays. Solos on Tuesdays, guest episode on Thursdays. Really excited to keep the season rolling. I've got some cool people lined up. I know, how could it get any better? It does. I just want to thank you all for tuning in and I will catch you guys next time. Bye.